2166, an immoral tyrant named Vandal Savage conquered the world and murdered my wife and child. I have assembled an elite team to hunt him down through time and stop his rise to power. Unfortunately, my plan is opposed by the body I'd sworn allegiance to, the Time Masters. In the future, my friends may not be heroes, but if we succeed, they will be remembered as legends. I'm Eddie Webb. And I'm the Doc, um, Chris Bivey. And today we're going to talk about Dr. No, uh, Legends of Tomorrow. That was it on John Willis. Hello and welcome to our next step in the Arrowverse, which is simultaneously an amazing look at what, what happened if Americans made Doctor Who and also what to do when you have too many actors and not enough budget. <laughs> <laughs> I'd totally forgotten how much this first season felt like Doctor Who just from that first episode. And to see Rory, it's always good to see Rory running around. Yeah, so I mean, let's start there. Like, um, on one hand, it's super easy to look at a show and go, oh, it's a time travel show. It's like Doctor Who. No, this this show very clearly is trying to emulate that, and, and we'll talk about it. I'm sure we'll hit on it, but but starting off with the fact that an actor who played in Doctor Who, playing a time traveler who then acts a lot like Doctor Who, particularly Matt Smith's version of Doctor Who, which he worked with, but with a tenant look, hence his very long yes. coat that felt very tenant flashing around. No, it, it is it is very much a, a, a show and a group that are like, we know this is popular. We, we recognize people are going to find some connections here. Let's lean into that. And it ends up being something we talked about a bit with uh, Jessica Jones for me in the sense that um, there's a bit of deconstructing Dr. Who through this in, in Jessica Jones. It was specifically let's have David Tennant act like the doctor and then, map our feelings onto that and then watch that deconstruct. And this one, it's a bit more what the doctor was kind of bad at his job. <laughs> and you get Rip Hunter. Cause again, he's a time traveler. And we're going to dive right into the, the comic connections because it's similar, but he's a time traveler who leaves his group slash race, the time Lords, not, I mean, masters. Uh, time masters, uh, steals a time ship to go fix stuff that he thinks his people should be doing. He gets I don't see at all how that's I mean, like Doctor Who. It's 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 ridiculously close, um, but at the same time, it, it's doing its own thing. So, um, uh, usually with these shows, we've been trying to do the let's talk about the comic prep stuff. So, I want to kind of dive into that quickly because there's a lot to cover and also almost nothing to cover. Uh, in the sense that Legends of Tomorrow, as a title, as a comic, existed for exactly one year. 2016 uh and it was an anthology title by dc literally the idea was these are going to be up-and-coming writers and artists to try out eight page stories in a printed comic and then if they liked them then they would be moved on to actual full comics so in this sense legends of tomorrow was these are the writers and artists you may potentially be seeing in future from our company uh and the only commonality between that is that they both have firestorm in it uh so I would like to say, having never read that comic, that that is a brilliant idea. I actually had a few issues because I found them in a, a, a 
a bargain bin a few years ago because I mistakenly thought that would be like the show. Um, and it was also good because it, had, it featured a lot of characters that don't have a lot of mainstream comics now. So it had like the Metal Men and, you know, and Firestorm and stuff like that. And there were ongoing serialized stories within that. Um, and there were big 80 page, you know, square bounds comics that you got for like three, four bucks. So they were extremely cheap. They're, and you don't have those kind of anthology comics in the U.S. market much anymore. So it was it was a really cool idea. And it was actually quite a fun comic and it lasted like six issues which is sad reminds me a lot of the captain america run that well for you the iron man run that we did for me the captain america run that we did where cap sort of had the main story and then had the little serpent society with benefit story in the back yeah yeah it was that same kind of vein uh and honestly we've talked about how we're both mainly marvel fans but as i've grown to appreciate dc i'm finding that some of the oddball stuff in dc is what i grabbed did you like the metal men are i genuinely think they're cool um and they just don't get enough attention you know they're living embodiments of metal and they're robots but they're also (laughs) elements and it's great that's a larger conversation we'll have to deconstruct at some other time right um but this is this, uh, this show um has a huge cast uh and uh how this show came about ultimately was that both Flash and uh, Arrow were getting really sizable supporting casts and needed to actually pair some characters away. Um, and they, but they wanted to keep working with the actors. And so they actually moved their contracts over to this show in a way to kind of keep giving those actors work and ideally reuse assets and concepts from both of the, the primary Arrowverse shows into a brand new spinoff. Uh, and then it became its own thing. But that, but this season one we're looking at uh, is very much continuations of those. So, so we're now hitting the, the the strong middle to late Arrowverse in the sense that if you've not watched Arrow and if you've not watched The Flash, you probably do not know what's going on with the show. Like, for instance, who's the who's a white canary? Who is right. the best canary for the Arrowverse, right. by the way? Yes. Or who is Firestorm? This, no, you know Firestorm, but you wouldn't know this version of Firestorm. Right. And the legend himself, Captain Cole, because oh, yes. Flash's Grin's enemy would have a freeze ray. Uh, so I'm going to go through the, the the group, but but yes, we're, we're going to talk about Snart, because Snart is amazing. Um, I would like to take a minute for you going, though, oh, that sure. I think it's interesting I watched a couple episodes of it, but if I remember right, that both the Ice and Fire guy they took from Prison Break, which had both those actors playing brothers, I believe, trying to escape from prison every season. Really? For some reason, they'd go back. And it was really popular. I heard people liked it. It wasn't for me. But that's just a a fun little tidbit. And for all my Blade fans out there, we do know that Mick Rory is Dracula. Oh, that's right. I never, I didn't think of it until you just said that. Now, yes, you're right. That is absolutely the same person. That's amazing. And he played in one of my favorite shows, actually, from the, how was it, early 2000s? It was about uh, a guy that lost his memory, but had like this amazing set of skills and kind of wandered around helping people. Forgot what it was called now. Oh, 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 oh. Um, but he was the lead in that. And it was really good. Only ran for one season. You're, you're, it, you're right. It was, it was right after uh, Kindred the Embraced. 
Um, yeah. And it started having its own mythology. And then they, I think it was Fox. And Fox like, uh, you like it? We're going to kill it now. Yeah. It, something Chance, I want to say. Because I do remember that show. I remember really liking it. And same thing, yeah, it got canceled. Um, but okay, so uh, uh, I'm going to try to go through the comic book versions of all of these characters. Um, here we go. So Rip Hunter is a time traveler in the comics. Rip Hunter is a time traveler in the show. Uh, the, in both versions, uh, he works for the Time Masters. Um, in the comics, he's also a Booster Gold son for complicated reasons. Um, digression, there is a fantastic Booster Gold comic book came out about 10 years ago where he does exactly the same kind of nonsense this show does where he travels through time tries to fix things. And it's genuinely good. It is, it is the second time I've ever loved Booster Gold as a character, the first time being 52. Um, so it's it's a really, really great run. Uh, but otherwise, Rip Hunter is just a guy with a time ship. He doesn't really have any other special abilities. Uh Ray Palmer, the Atom, much like his comic book origin. Uh, in both cases, he's a genius inventor. Uh, he's able to change size due to his equipment. Uh, in the comics, it's due to a belt. In this show, it's due to his suit. Uh, usually, it is smaller. Sometimes, it is bigger. So, he's totally not Ant-Man. He's totally not. <laughs> uh, Sarah Lance White Canary. Um, this is a little more complicated. Sarah Lance isn't really in DC continuity. Uh, there are, there have been some white canaries in the comics, but most of them have been only in the past 10 or so years. And none of them are the same as Sarah Lance. They all tend to be martial artists though. I don't think any of them are from the League of Assassins. So white canary is a more or less unique character to the Arrowverse. Uh, Stein and Jackson, uh, they make Firestorm. As Chris pointed out, this is a different Firestorm from when we saw in Flash. Uh, and that their firestorm was created in the flash. Uh, so, you know, th this is, this is not just made for the show, but they kind of made it in flash so they can justify putting the characters in the show. Yeah. Um, firestorm in the comics has had multiple variations as well. So that that's actually canonically accurate. Uh, Stein and Jackson are actually the original firestorm, uh, which is a professor and a college football guy although jackson gets a much better repertoire of skills in this version frankly uh but the power set is basically the same in the comics and in the show which is they have nuclear manipulation uh flight super strength endurance and what nuclear manipulation means absolutely depends on who the writer is and how much they understand nuclear physics so plutonium yes uh sometimes he do basically nothing except for shoot fire sometimes people realize oh yeah atoms make up everything and Firestorm becomes the most powerful character in the entire universe. As well Firestorm should be. I tend to agree, but he's so badly written most of the time. Much like the Molecule Man should be the most powerful character in Marvel. Right, right. Um, then there are, are the Hawk folks, uh, Hawk Man and Hawk Woman, Hawk Girl. Um, there have been a lot of variations of these characters. Um, this is the most modern interpretation of them, which is Kendra Saunders and Carter Hall are reincarnations of mystical people from sometime that is usually, but not always, Egypt. Uh, and never quite explains why white people are descended from people from Egypt, but okay. Uh, this is a slightly more nuanced take on that, uh, but they're not the 
most common interpretation of these characters, which is they're actually aliens from the planet Thanagar, uh, which is personally my favorite interpretation of, of, of the Hawk folks. So you're not fond of Daniel Jackson as Hawkman? No. No, I am not. <clears throat> and then we get to the rogues. Um, the rogues are actually a reference to the rogues gallery, which is the name for kind of Flash's collective uh, uh, human, uh, human-based enemies. Um, and sometimes even more broadly, just all of his arch enemies. Uh, the Flash doesn't really have a single iconic arch enemy. He has a group, and they didn't call it the Rogues. Uh, that has been moved on to this uh, in the sense that the Rogues are a some kind of criminal organization. Uh, but we have Captain Cold and Heatwave, um, and they're just like the comic books. They, Captain Cold has a ray gun, Heatwave has a portable flamethrower. There's the beginning, middle, and end of their power sets. Uh, with the small exception that Captain Cold is amazing and everyone should love him. <laughs> but I want to talk about Nick Roy for a second because I want to talk... I mentioned last episode that season one of the show is not indicative of the show as a whole. And so I'm going to do mild spoilers for Mick Roy because I want to give you a sense of what Legends of Tomorrow is as a show. So skip it. If you don't want spoilers for this, skip ahead about a minute. But I want to give you Nick Rory's plot arc for seasons three through six. In these seasons, Mick Rory, a criminal with a flamethrower, encounters a past version of his abusive father, Dick Rory, discovers he's a talent for writing, becomes a popular romance novelist under a pen named Rebecca Silver, accidentally conceives a daughter with his old high school friends, attempts to care for his daughter, whose name is Lita, hands off his authorial work to his teammate, Monica Wu. So she is now a romance writer. He gets impregnated by an alien, gives birth to an alien hybrid offspring, and then departs the legends to take care of both his human daughter and his alien daughter that he births. That is this show. It's nonsense. It's, it's glorious, glorious nonsense. I also think the writers and everyone liked working with Dominic Purcell. So they kept him on the show. So Mick had to get more and more interesting things to do. Otherwise right. he is just the heavy with a flame gun. That, that 1000%. And that is one of the things that you can think about with the show is that arrow more or less had a plan. The flash more or less had a plan and they tried to, well, they put their own spin on, they more or less kept to a larger body of work. This show is literally cobbled together from bits of other TV shows, and no one, frankly, not even DC, really cared as much about these characters. And so the writers were kind of like, okay, what do we do with this? Because they, frankly, I don't think expect this to last more than a season or two. The first, this first season we're going to look at is structured like it's just a large event. It's one big, long storyline. Um, so it feels like um, what uh, Disney would now do is a limited series. Right, We're going to do one season of this, do... You know, 13 episodes, call it a day, move on. Uh, this feels a lot like that in a proto-state. And then it became amazingly popular. And part of that is because of people like Snart and Rory, who had not much to, for, of a, to work with, and so just started doing stuff. And the writers started doing stuff with them. And they are just so much fun to watch on the screen that they kept getting bigger and bigger parts. But... When you, have, when you throw time travel shenanigans into this and, and superhero shenanigans into this, things get weird real fast. I mean, one part of the show, which you're not going to cover, uh, is uh, Constantine 
TV show gets canceled and the actor comes to keep playing Constantine. So they bring John Constantine in and it's like, I don't know, we have a magician now and we're just going to work him in because they love to work with that actor and they wanted to work with that actor. Uh, so that's this show. This show is just a bunch of random comic book bits and TV bits jammed together and they figured it out for seven seasons. Well, in each season was almost its own sort of individual thing. Mm-hmm. And while that did add a lot of their fan base, their budget also continued to decrease. And it was also impacted by how they had an inconsistent cast. And right. while they gave people a lot of work to do, that means they kind of burned through those character arcs. And then other people would have to come in to replace them. And they would keep it fresh by just bringing in scores of new people. Like right. they had Jonah Hex come on for a while. They even in the end, since we're giving a couple of spoilers, I think they get booster goal in their final season. Stuff like yeah. that just keeps mm-hmm. happening. Yeah. So um, again, like Doctor Who, uh, uh, the show is constantly reinventing itself, and to the point where while the, the core conceit is there, um, which is these are superheroes that travel through time, it's it's doing very different things from season to season. So each season is almost, in a lot of ways, its own TV show. I I challenge that. I say the first season is superheroes traveling through time. After that, it is people with abilities getting into misadventures because there are less heroes and there are a lot less super every single season. That's entirely fair. Um, But these, these superhero logic is devoured like they're like, because they have John Constantine on there's an entire season arc that involves a demon because that's what you do when you have the superhero company. Do we need to talk about Constantine? We both we've already agreed that Constantine is not a hero at all, and so that gets into our moral gray area. I'm I'm using superhero as a as a all encompassing term for larger comic book continuities and the tropes that are associated with them. Not that he is explicitly okay. hero. I, I, no, I, I still stand by that. I think we still have a great answer on that. Um, but he is capital S superhero in the sense of he is a protagonist with unusual powers lumped together with things not always for connected reasons so it's like yes in the sci-fi show of course you have magic and we're not we're not going to explain that we're just going to move on okay I, I can agree with that but I, I'll still go back and I'll stand by there's only one word to describe John Constantine he's an asshole bastard <laughs> alright two look at that oh yeah there you go um so uh with all that said uh, i know we're kind of rushing through this but there's a lot to talk about um did you have any thoughts about the the dc origins of this extremely eclectic group of people as i was watching the reverse at the time it all made perfect sense now coming back to it in retrospect it is jarring to see how they just cobbled a bunch of people together and i'll have specific points in the pilot that we're about to talk about that's fair um uh, I do want to put a pin in that because um, I think looking back at Legends of Tomorrow is revealing what I think Marvel is going to have as a problem with the MCU going forward as, as, as they increasingly rely on people knowing increasingly distant history and more calm through the continuity. I think Marvel's have the same problem that Legends of Tomorrow had, although just around solved that by just jettisoning it. Like every other Arrowverse show, that we're talking about ultimately starts its own thing and becomes part of larger continuity. Legends of Tomorrow's Reverse. It starts heavily integrated into the continuity and then just goes somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I think that's the best answer. But anyway, so the pilots in two parts. We will talk about them as individual episodes anyway because they kind of more or less hang together. Uh, so pilot part one. 
In the year 2166, the immortal villain Vandal Savage on the verge of his final victory, total chaos, and the utter destruction of humanity. As the world crumbles, Time Master Rip Hunter takes matters into his own hands. He travels 150 years in the past to assemble a carefully selected team of heroes and rogues to stop him. Hunter has chosen what seems to be an ill-matched group. Billionaire inventor Ray Palmer, who has created an exosuit with the power to shrink into minuscule size as the Atom. Sarah Lance, the White Canary, a trained assassin. Firestorm, uh, sorry, uh, Professor Martin Sheen and Jefferson Jacks Jackson, who together form the Metahuman Firestorm. Leonard Snart, known as Captain Cold, and his partner McRory, aka Heatwave, a pair of career criminals. And Sandra Con Kendra Saunders, blah, and Carter Hall, aka Hawkgirl and Hawkman. So this unlikely group will attempt to stop one of the most formidable villains of all times, where they must learn to not only be a team, but heroes as well. So this first episode is ultimately the getting the bands together episode. Uh, and it does kind of give you a bit of a short recap of the characters in case you haven't been watching. It's not much, frankly. Uh, and a lot of these I just happen to know because... Like you, I was watching the Arrowverse more or less episode episode at the time, so I actually knew what these characters were. Um, but they find ways to like have Sarah talk to her sister Laura and uh, Ray Palmer, you know, doing his, his mentor thing and, and all that stuff. And of course, there's tons of cameos from both those shows in in this. Uh, but um, Vandal Savage, we should probably start with him. Do we have so, to? His comic book origin, and I'm not exaggerating here, is he's literally a caveman that got hit by a space rock, and now he's immortal. That's Vandal Savage. Uh, On the whole, it is a, a pretty good power, pretty good deal, though, for a power set. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can't murder me, and I never age, and I'm immortal, and I remember everything. Is is ultimately beneficial. It makes him a good villain. And well, I think he has to have some sort of crazy regeneration too in there. So otherwise you could be immortal, but everything hurts and you don't get better. <laughs> Hell, I'm not immortal and everything hurts and, everything, and nothing gets better. So, yep. Yep. <laughs> um, so I'm sorry, before you really get okay. on and we get to it, does that make Vandal Savage a man of a certain age? Boom. I'm done folks. I'm out. <laughs> um, uh, but yes, um, Vandal Savage is ultimately, he's a villain that wants to do villainous things and he wants to be in control of the world because he thinks the way is best and blah, 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 blah. He's, he can be an interesting villain. I don't think he is in this season. He's just the reason why all this stuff happens. Uh, and doing it slightly out of order, but it makes sense to talk about the order because it justifies what happens here. Um, so uh, Rip Hunter sees this, his daughter dies at Vandal Savage's hands. He goes to the Time Masters to ask for permission to deal with that. The Time Lords, I mean, Masters say, no, we don't interfere because Gallifrey or whatever. And he goes, no, screw you. I'm going to steal a time ship and do it my own way. Uh, and then proceeds to lie to a whole bunch of people to get them to do the thing he wants them to do. So you originally said he was bad at his job. I beg to differ. I think he is exceptional at his job. And that is the most doctor-esque doctor move that a doctor has ever doctored. Because we all know unequivocally 
the doctor lies. That that is fair. Um, I, I I made the joke about him being bad at his job, just in the sense of the doctor can do it with one or two people, and this guy had to get like six or seven to get, to do the same thing. Um, uh, we could compare body counts, I guess. <laughs> well, there's that. Um, uh, but I mean, in terms of the 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 setup, right? Uh, it is interesting, even if it's a story that maybe a lot of us have seen before, you know, in the sense of like, okay, this guy has, he's running from the time. And, and we do, we do, uh, we haven't gotten there yet, so I won't mention that, but um, he's got a time ship, which is a literal ship uh, with an AI, because that's just what you do. Um, what's interesting, one of the things interesting about this show, as we're talking about Rip Hunter and putting team together, is that every other CW show, we've talked about the CW formula. There's the protagonist, and then you build a support cast around them. And support cast have very specific roles. There's a love interest, there's a tech support, there's um, the sidekick, there's the uh, you know emotional uh, support person who maybe also is in love with you, but not really. There's certain roles that CW shows have, and they more or less all happen that way. Um, with Black Lightning, we saw that that was starting to break down a bit, although you can see bits and pieces of those roles. They're, 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 made a little more nuanced and resonant. Um, this, stru- this structure kind of does away with that entirely, even though you can see maybe how on paper they all mapped out to those roles. But even this first episode, no one's falling into those specific categories, right? Like you can kind of see how Ray Palmer's maybe the tech support, the, you know, person's the computer and does things, things, but he falls out of that role real fast. Um, you know, Sarah is kind of the, you know, bodyguard-ish role, um, so on and so forth. But so this episode kind of points Rip, Rip Hunter as the alleged protagonist, but it doesn't even survive the whole episode, in my opinion. Like, Rip Hunter's kind of just the reason why this is all happening, but he's not necessarily the protagonist. For me, it was almost like they knew they had a show of support characters and antagonists and they dump them all in and they Mm. pretty much give as much equal screen time as they can to a cast of like 50 people right but then they wait to see who is going to resonate most with the audience and then that is the person that starts getting more and more screen time as the show progresses right right and it's it is the biggest role-playing show i've ever seen watching it i was watching like the gm and players because they have all right so this is this mission. These three or four people aren't at our game table this week. So you all will stay on the ship yep. while we go adventure. Yes. Or you will go adventure at some random thing. And we on the ship will have an adventure because you all aren't here. Like that is the most gamey game thing I've seen. No, absolutely. And Rip Hunter is the GM character. That is just the reason why he's basically your pop bus taking you from adventure to adventure. Um, and occasionally to pull your ass out of the fire if your dice rolls go bad. Um, mm-hmm. but he's, I don't know. He, he's, he's, he's interesting, but I don't think it was ever intended to be the protagonist. And I think the show even kind of realizes that was probably not what was going to happen here. But again, I think that resonates with the Dr. Who comparison because the doctor, while it is the protagonist, when Dr. Who is written really well, we still don't entirely understand what the doctor's doing. Um, and really the rotating companion role or roles 
is the supposedly the obvious viewpoint character. Um, if you look at the start of the 10th, 11th Doctor runs in particular, you know, or 9th and uh, 11th, I should say, um, where we start from seeing Rose or Amy's perspective and then the Doctor gets juiced into their lives and then we spin out from there. This is kind of in the same vein where we don't immediately know what Rip Hunter's intentions are and the show kind of has them slightly removed from everybody else's interests. So I, th I think, again, there's another resonance to how it's kind of emulating or aping Doctor Who in structure. And it's, it is an interesting mix that they chose for the characters. And it was the motivation they gave for them to follow Rip was good. And it was a solid hook. Then it was a nice reveal later when something else happens. I won't touch on. Right. I do want to bring up that what happened to the gun that the flashy men in black gun he recruited them with because we never see it again. And that would solve 80% of all of their problems in the show. There's Vandal Savage. Bloop. Gotcha. Done. Yeah. Yeah. Literally he recruits them by walking into the middle of their scene, shooting a white flight at them. And then they wake up on the ship and that's it. It's never explained. I mean, he explains why Hours he did later. it, but how just whatever. I just time stuff. It's all what it took to catch Randall Savage in the show. Right. Clearly something, something, quantum entanglement, something, something. Yeah. Uh, so um, we've already kind of gone through the characters. I don't necessarily want to go through each in introductory scene. Um, is there a particular scene you want to kind of talk about and deconstruct a bit more? There are two okay. that I want to. And do you want to guess the two? I'm pretty sure you should know me well enough by now that you're going to know one of them already. I'm pretty sure you want to talk about uh, Captain Cold and Heatwave. No. Oh, I okay. want to talk about the offensiveness of recruiting Jax, who literally is knocked unconscious, stolen, oh, yeah. and put on a ship. Yes, yes. Like, do I, do I need to get any more historical in context for this? You've stolen a black man and put him on your ship to work for you. An older white man, no less, does this. And I use work in quotation marks right, right, for the emphasis of that. Or the other primarily marginalized character, I'm going to say Hawkwoman because I find the term Hawkgirl offensive. Uh, right. Hawkwoman, who is the other primarily POC character, doesn't want to go and is beaten by a white, white presenting man to go on this adventure. Like, those are how you recruit your two people of color characters for the shenanigans. Hawkman in particular is, is rough. But go ahead. Finish that. And even her, I'm going to touch on this point because we're going to talk about it later, but I want to do it now. So I don't have to do it then. Is that when they have to, when they want to bring certain person on the ship next episode, uh, Rip says no. And, the, and then you have her later to Hawk. Man, the only reason that Rip let us bring this person the ship is because you said it was okay. Like, right. I've talked about Arrow, the entire Arrowverse tried to do some some minor racially progressive things, and this entire pilot episode, even when I saw it then, offended me, and it offends me now to see that. And that is how they get them. You don't have these people wanting to go on the adventure. You have white or white presenting men telling them this is what they're going to do, and then they have to go and do it and acquiesce. And eventually, right. they come around from the journey. Not that they themselves have the ability to go and do it or want to do it. 
Right. And I mean, the reluctant companion is absolutely a trope. Again, to go back to Doctor Who, I mean, there have been some companions uh, who were extremely reluctant who came around to it. Uh, Tiggy Javanka immediately jumps to mind. Um, you know, there are others. Um, I'm going through the Rolodex in my head. Uh, uh, Jamie was another one. Um, so, I mean, if done well, that's not inherently concerning dramatic prospect. But you're absolutely right. The only two people who are reluctant are the people of color. Um, and that's, that's, that's a, a really bad tone. And on top of that, taking uh, people of color out of it, um, we have the other unfortunate trope with Hawkwoman, which is the, we are destined to be together. And the, the, the female character is like, I don't want to do this. And the man basically just continues to tell her, no, no, we have to be together. And more or less mm-hmm. forces her into a romantic relationship, which is super problematic. Yes. Um, again, the show does go in different directions after this, but this two-part pilot is not doing any favors. Uh, and on top of it all, uh, the reason we're not kind of breaking through this up beat by beat is because not a lot happens, right? Like this whole episode is just everyone gets recruited um, in a horribly offensive or short-sighted way. Uh um, they get put on the ship, they go to do a thing, you know, they, you know, we need to go stop Randall Savage, they go back in time to do that, and then they find out that they've been lied to, and that they can't even do the thing that they're supposed to do. Because Rip gets them all together onto a rooftop for whatever, because it's the Arrowverse, everyone has to have dramatic means on rooftops, that's just how it works now. Uh, and he lies about two things. Um, he lies and says that all of them are, are legends in time and that he recruited the best of the best uh, in order to, to solve this. And the other thing he lies about is that he's from East London. He is not from East London. I live in East London. That man is not from East London. <laughs> I don't think he's even seen a cockney, let alone sounds like one. <laughs> Before we go, move on, I will point out there is one of the recruiting stories that I did like, and I liked the one for the Atom. Okay. Because it touched on something great that, like, if you watched the show, you saw that Ray was always second or third best at everything. Yep. Regardless of his money, his brilliance, his, we'll call it a super suit. It's, <laughs> it's, it's something that lets him do zany shenanigans. But he always just wanted to help and try to do something good, which is one of the things that I've always wanted a billionaire tech genius to try to do. Mm-hmm. And it was good to see it. And for all, everything he did, it never mattered at all to anybody. And to have him have that realization on the show and the only person he can talk to it with because he has no other cast to engage or interact with is Oliver. Like yeah. that is that in itself is painful because he had a thing spoiler for felicity and oliver's gonna get felicity and it's ray is constantly diminished and he has no choice but to go right right and um i also want to touch on on uh the rogues a little bit because i know why they have been added and we talked about why they've been added is because those actors are fantastic and they're really fun from a narrative perspective hiring two crooks with super guns makes no sense whatsoever and the show doesn't even bother to justify it It, it's they're in the middle of a crime spree rip shoots them with the gun everything goes white and now they're like i guess we're time travelers now 
And I, one thing I will give the show credit for is the show's like, okay, but they're only doing this because they're going to keep being criminals. And they do actually play with that for, for quite a while. Um, and so, but it, again, it, it's such manufactured tension and combined with the fact that they're manufactured, like, okay, let's go back to Firestorm for a second. Firestorm as a character is, is frustrating from a comic perspective because you have to always invent reasons why the two people can't just always be Firestorm. And so you're always trying to get dramatically opposite characters and then spending a lot of the comic putting reasons why they can't be Firestorm until they're actually Firestorm. Um, when it's done well, it can be it can start to channel things like you know uh, the voice in your head, self doubt, imposter syndrome. There's a lot of other things you can actually do with it when it's done well. And some people have done really well with, with Firestorm as a character, um, but this is kind of the worst case scenario for Firestorm. On top of the concerns you just gave, um, they're constantly fighting, even though they have we find out later an emotional and a mental link with each other. There's the more you think about it, the less this scenario makes any sense. Uh, and so it's, frankly, it would have been better if they if they were, if they had short space. When you have a short space like this, you really should be relying on shortcuts, uh, you know, character shortcuts to get people on board and then build from there. So it should have been the weak, frail, older professor is reluctant to go. The headstrong young kid wants to go on an adventure. It's the kid that kidnaps the professor and takes him along because he needs him to be Firestorm. That would have made a lot more sense would have solved the problem you brought up um, and would have been a much more natural character conflict because it's the, I don't, I never wanted to be here. But it's it's done in the exact opposite way. And it, it not only from a, a racial perspective reads wrong, but also it's just from a dramatic perspective, it's weird. It, it just, none of it seems to, to resonate well. Um, Sarah Lance kind of comes on board because she's like, I, I got nothing else here, which is like, my, she might as well be staring at the camera while she says that, right? <laughs> it's like, but she's about to say my contract's up with Arrow, so I might as well do this thing now. Um, so, and, and, uh, the Hawk folks, they're the, they're the, they're the plot reason for this whole season. And it's not good. This is honest. It, it's not good. Um, but so let's see how this, uh, I, I want to kind of move into part two because we see how this stuff plays out. Cause again, part one is just kind of set up. Do you have anything else for part right. one you want to talk about? Uh, one more quick thing. Um, so <clears throat> much like the Highlander whose swords vanish, where do the Hawk people's wings go? All right, you can go. Uh, and metal. <laughs> All right. Pilot plot part two. Tipped off the Vandal Savages, whereabouts the team infiltrates a munitions deal with Professor Stein as their leader. Ugh. Surrounded by some of the toughest criminals in the world, things quickly go from bad to worse when Savage realizes they don't belong there. A massive fight ensues and a piece of the Adam suit falls off in the wrong hands, which potentially cause disastrous consequences in the future. Stein realizes the best way to retrieve the missing piece is to contact a brilliant man, his younger self. He, Sarah, and Jax head off in search of the young Martin Stein, much to Rip's consternation. Meanwhile, Snart and Rory plan to steal a key element in defeating Savage, but are still unsure of his new teammate. Ray demands to come along on the mission. Carter helps Kendra remember something vital. So, um, on the one hand, this show does try to get to what, what it... You start to see 
the bits and pieces of what's going to make this show fun for seven seasons, which is that, okay, we're going to go to the 70s and we're going to have fun with the fact that we're in the 70s now. And there's some genuinely fun dialogue, um, you know, talking about getting uh, uh, clothing together and they explain why you have to wear new clothing. It's like, we have a machine that makes clothing, blah, 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 sure, whatever. Okay, great. Um, and so it's like, but what they're doing and why they're there also kind of doesn't matter. And the show's starting to recognize that. It's like, we're going back to 70s because something, something, Vandal Savage, nuclear weapon, something, something. And it's like, okay, all right, cool, great. Uh, the other piece that is cool with this is that we start to set up some timey-wimey stuff, right? Which, again, strong Doctor Who thing. I didn't make a mistake in the past. We see the consequences in the future. Vandal Savage is long-lived, but is living through these events in his timeline sequentially. And so we're seeing some out-of-order stuff from Vandal Savage, which, again, good thing to do with this kind of show. Just about everything else is a problem. <laughs> There's one scene that I love, but um, starting with, again, to my earlier point, they're, they're trying to make Stein a central character, and it just doesn't work. Mm. I mean, he... It, it's all the boring options of meeting your younger self combined with finding all sorts of different ways to have him talk about how amazing he is. It's just exhausting. Before we get to the younger Stein, can we can we go back and we talk about the arms deal? Like that was a nice bit, which once again still focuses on Stein, right? And a, a, I guess a point of reference: uh, the actor that plays Stein is also a musician, is a mu singer in musicals. I forgot the name of the musical. It wasn't Hair, but it was the other one in like the sixties or seventies, which is a whole. Oh, nice. Uh, sort of the flower child thing. So, side adventure is that intersection there that he's an arms dealer and compared to flower child musical. But right. I digress. Uh, I liked that part of it because he would have the knowledge of those events if that was like part of his field of study. So, he would have known sure. all those tragedy, tragedies that happened, which would have given him some, some kudos. Right. Right. The gravitas in which he enforced them, I question, but it's a superhero show, so I let that go. The reason I want to touch on the munitions deal is because it has Damien fucking Dark just doing a cameo walk by to like reinforce that this is part of the Arrowverse and how right. long Damien Dark has been around and part of it and doesn't age because Ollie eventually fights Damien Dark, other thing. Right. But it's showing you these characters and moving pieces around. So that was a nice overall universal touch. Yeah. I mean, and also I think it's a good point about the whole episode is that. The actual plot is not great, and the actual momentum of it doesn't make a lot of sense. But it's a lot of the small background details and the the, the minor pieces that really make this episode sing. Um, you're right. Like, Damien Dark is just shoved in there because someone's paying attention to news. Like, well, he should be there because of this reason, blah, blah, blah. And that's the kind of comic book stuff you want to see in a comic book show, right? So it's like, that's, mm -hmm. that's fantastic. That was great. Um, the people shooting guns in the air to indicate they're bidding, it's its stupid nonsense, but it's the right kind of stupid nonsense. Of course, that's how they're going to do it. That's just, of course, it's going to happen, you know? If you were um, a terrorist organization, would you have like a little bitty wooden thing that you hold no, up and go, no. I would have been, bam, bam. And again, it's the, you know, you, you get the beat of, 
of course they're the last bidder and then they have to try to talk their way out of paying for it. And it's like, yeah, so that, that but so none of the plot is surprising. Um, it was super weird to have Stein be the lead on when, when the criminal should obviously be doing that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, then they go into, you know, and then they leave a, a piece off the suit. They, they go forward, they find out actually Vandal Savage is now able to destroy the world because time reasons. And so we have to go back and, and, and back to the seventies and get that. So we have to get the device to find that. And so only Stein can do it. So again, like Stein's the central character for this and it, it, it's, it's continuing to not be a good look, but at least to one of my favorite scenes where like you're talking about the, the player character party where it's like, okay, you should be characters you stay behind. And the player's like, nah, we're bored. We're going to go to the bar. And so White Canary, Heat Wave, and Captain Cold go to a bar, get into a fight, and it is amazing. Because at this point, you start to realize that White Canary was brought on because, oh, she's a really good fighter, one fighter. What they have not realized is that White Canary is actually Jack Harkness mm-hmm. and is White Canary time adventurous. Yep, and she's like she's going to sleep her way through the entire fucking time continuum, and sleep and fight her way through it, and she does not care, and she's not even ashamed or embarrassed by it. She's like, I'm going to start a fight in the bar because I want to do this, and I think that's a, that's fun. I would say that she didn't want to have a fight in the bar. The opportunity aro- forced itself upon her, and she, she reacted how a player character, right? She reacted how a player character would react. Right. Oh, you get to come up on me? Then let's do this. Right. That's fair. Um, but also, like, we start to see the, 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 the two things. We see the potential of having two criminals on the ship because, like, we get this feeling of, like, okay, they're, they're going to do time crimes because that's what you do when you're a criminal. And to see White Canary go, okay, I'm on board with this is a bit of a surprise for the audience, you know? But it's like, you know, okay, but they're, they're just here to rampage through time and have a good time uh but also you start to see what's fantastic is that the snart and rory dynamic because those two actors are just great like i don't remember the actor's name but the guy who plays snart his delivery he he gives everything in this kind of weird sneer and it seems like in any other actor that would be a one note grading performance but each Tom, he has like a thousand different sneers. Like how they say that uh, the Inuit had different words for snow. He has like 75 different sneers and they all give a very different emotional range. But it's always Snark just being a sneering asshole to everyone, but there's a weird range there. And then him and Rory and like how he kind of has this, he's protective of Rory, but also thinks Rory's kind of an idiot and Rory just doesn't understand why we can't do the thing. I want to do the thing. Why can't we do the thing? Um, is is fantastic, but neither of them comes across like it doesn't feel like Snart's Snart thinks that he's in charge of Rory, Rory thinks he's in charge of Snart, and that's again a great dynamic. So you have these two criminals just chewing the scenery, and then you put Sarah Lance into this, who just does not care. Um, and <laughs> that one scene is like, okay. The rest of the episode, nah, had some good bits, but that scene is like, wait, this is the show I want to watch, and it turns out that is the show it will become. Well, it also, at the same time, that reinforces that Snart is doing all that, but he does have a modicum of concern for the crew because Jack is like, all right, I'll go to the bar with you. And 
it sounds offhanded and says like you're not old enough and leaves him on the ship. Right. But you know that he knows the trouble they're going to get into, and Jax probably could not walk away from that trouble. Right, right. Um, and, and yeah, it, it's subtle, but it does start to play out more in the fact that Snark cares. It's not in the I don't want to admit it to myself thing. It's just more of a I just I gotta keep my street cred kind of thing. It, it, it's 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 very tactical. He he Snark always knows what he wants. It's just that what he wants is not what he says he wants. Whereas Rory mm-hmm. has no clue what he wants, <laughs> but <laughs> feel, but makes everyone think like he's on top of everything and he's just not. <laughs> All right, Ray's. You you called it a super suit, super suit. <laughs> what what is this plastic monstrosity that if it's hit by a mook, like the lowest of lowest rung of a mook, it loses bits and pieces of itself. You know what? Last week, I made some disparaging comments about Black Lightning's outfit. I take it all back. <laughs> Thank you. Because Black Lightning's suit would not fall apart when hit by a random guy. <laughs> I, oh. I know they needed a reason for Vandal Savage to do the Savage thing, but oh, it hurts so much to see this. Yeah, it's... Again, I mean, it, there, there's so many moving parts. Like, um, I feel like if the season had been, we're going to recruit people one or two at a time over the course of like several episodes and given them more room and depth, we could have been a lot better. But again, it's, it's just hit the ground running. We got so much to cover. And what it leads to is characters making dumb decisions or in some cases, like with uh, Hawkwoman, uh, your role is to sit on the ship and have visions. That's what you get to do. That, that's your role. And I, I wish I could tell you that that changed throughout the season, but it really doesn't. Um, spoiler alert! I too her, thought like, that Madame Webb could be an interesting character, but yeah, but the thing is that she's not. Madame Webb is actually presented as like okay, frail and a manipulator. Hawkwoman is supposed to be this badass fighter, and then she's in a coma for several episodes this season. Several. <laughs> so. Uh, it's we, we did forget to mention something. We forgot oh, yeah. to mention that Rip stole his time ship, Gideon, and there is a time hunter coming. Oh, after Kronos! Them. Thank you. I, I did forget to mention Kronos. Right. That that is such a badass. That even with like his little handheld blaster, he's blowing up the ship. Right. Which is right. one of those power scale things that bothers me because if he's that powerful shooting the ship, there's no way any character should survive a blast anywhere near them. Right. And on top of it, again, like if you watch any time travel shows, it's going to be, oh, look, it's a completely masked person with a digitized voice that's hunting after them. It's going to be someone we know. Um, and I'm, I won't spoil this factor, but it is someone we know. Uh, uh, but, you know, Kronos becomes kind of just the, you're having too much fun in this time time period, so now Kronos is going to show up and force you to, to scoot off to the next adventure. That, that's really mm-hmm. what he's there for. Uh, but that also reminds me of another piece is... Um, on the show recognizing it's a comic book show, Rip's gun. It is literally a laser revolver. And that is amazing. I'm, I'm going to put that in Haunted West now. You realize I'm just going to make some free yes. DLC and throw it up on the website. Please do, because that gun <laughs> is awesome. It's like, it doesn't make... Why is it a revolver? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, And I think that's kind of... This episode, you start to see... 
what the show does well and what the show doesn't do well. When the show's trying to explain itself, it starts to invite questions. It's like, okay, if uh, Stein didn't meet his wife and that causes in the timeline, how does, you know, his, his ring disappears, so how does that affect him as a person and what's going on here? And they try to explain the time travel stuff and, and you start to start to, start to break down. And it's like, but then why would he even be here? Blah, blah, blah. But when it's like, no, we're going to the 70s because we want White Canary to have a bar fight with an amazing soundtrack. Wait, you know, that, that's the reason why we're doing this. One of the things that I did like about this episode, and it deals with the Hawks, so I got to mention something about the Hawks I like, because I feel like we've been dragging them, is they introduce a concept that even though they are going to get killed constantly and reincarnate, that they can have kids and those kids grow up. And yeah. we assume just as normal people, which I didn't question why they weren't infected by the nth metal or whatever else, whole other story. But that is a very nice touch that you could have picked up at any point in time. Like, who knows how many kids they've had throughout eternity that are running around with knowledge about all of that. Right. The other thing I'll say about the Hawks is that while I, with, I know where the storyline goes, that frustrates me, at least at this moment, they're... Kendra is not only rejecting the narrative of we are destined to be together, but she also in this episode brings up some extremely good points as to why that's a concern and a problem. Um, so it's like Kendra's like, no, I mean, it's like, it just, just because I'm encouraged doesn't mean I'm the same person. Um, just because you're here doesn't mean we need to be together. Um, we have these other things we need to take care of. She brings up a lot of really good points of like, maybe we sh you shouldn't be hitting on me right now. Maybe we should be focused on the job in front of us. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and then the sadly the narrative's gonna throw all the way, but like at this moment, it's like I really want to see more of this character. You know? Um, there's some really strong potential here. And that's that's kind of uh, this this episode in a nutshell. Like there's a, you see the potential here, and sometimes they got the right answers out of that, and sometimes they didn't. And I guess one more thing before we really move on. The fact that Snart and Ray get caught together and you have that little moment for them is a is a nice yeah. touch of realization too. Like it goes back to each of them revealing bits of their character pieces, but also it gives you your weird party dynamic that like these three players are here for the session. So let's put them all together regardless of their backgrounds and who they are. Right. Um, and it really reinforces that the two rogues kind of sell this series because like it, I, I do think if those two characters were not there this would be a relatively boring show um they're the way they bounce off the other characters really makes the whole show sing um and so you start to realize why snart and rory are kind of the fan favorites of, of the show um the, the, the writers love them the cast love them the fans love them and again like when you episode one it's like why why do people love these characters and now you start to say oh okay there, there's some, some interesting stuff here and then there'll be more in the next episode but anything else on part two i think his name is wentworth miller is who plays snart okay thank you i didn't google i pulled that from the brain because good job i don't google folks good job i do okay uh so episode six star city 2046 when a malfunction sends the wave rider crashing into 2046 star city our heroes face a startling version of their own future where they never stop savage and never return home the city is in ruins and overrun by criminals which thrills rory 
Sarah is despondent over the destruction of her home and stunned when she learns what happened to her other her old friend, Oliver Queen. That's a pretty short summary because it's kinda hard. There's twist approach this episode, which is a short summary or goof for all of it because a lot happens, but also nothing happens. And I picked this episode because from a plot perspective, from the season-long plot, this episode is completely meaningless, right? It's the it's a larger version of what we saw in last up last episode we reviewed, which is something went wrong and we have to see a time consequences of it. We saw just a brief window in the pilot part two. Now we're seeing a whole episode of what happens if we do this wrong. Uh, from a comic book fan perspective and from a fan of the characters, this is an amazing episode because it is uh, the X-Men Days of Future Past style episode, right? Where it's like we see all the heroes that have died and it's 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 old man Logan and old man Green, Green Arrow um, down to the missing an arm bit, you know. Uh, I can't shoot anymore. Old man Hawkeye does the exact same gimmick, right? I was like, yeah, I can't, I have missing an arm so I can't use a bow and arrow anymore so I'm worthless. Um, and all that stuff. It has the gangs have overrun society because that's the natural outcome of any supervillain's plan is eventually you get thematically <laughs> themed gangs that ravage the, the countryside or ravage the city. That's just the natural outgrowth of any plan. That is why right now I'm going to put in, so if it ever happens, I support Dr. Doom. So when Doom <laughs> takes over, we won't have any of the shenanigans about no. gangs roaming the land. No. We will have a, a strict dictatorship where everything runs on time. Or you get blasted to, into oblivion. Digression, but if anyone... Uh, uh, I, I highly recommend uh, digging up the Doom 2099 run, if you can. Because Doom does, in fact, become the President of the United States, for listeners. Um, and reading his platform today, he would be a moderate Democrat. Uh, so keep that in mind because he stood for, uh, clean air. He was an environmentally friendly, uh, even better than Bernie Sanders was. Um, he gave rights to mutants. He gave free internet access for everyone. Just saying, Doom, you know, best choice. Well, when written properly, Doom is scary and sort of teeters on that weird villain, anti-not-villain land. Never hero. Just not yeah. possibly a villain. Just... Yep. But then that Wouldn't full Richards. But I think you chose this episode specifically because you wanted old man Ollie. Don't lie. You sort of tried to cloak it in other stuff. X-Men news, that, that. You wanted fucking old man Ollie is what you wanted. Old man, to be fair, old man Ollie is great. Um, and, and it reinforces that Stephen Amell is actually a much better actor than people give him credit for. <laughs> Because he was genu like I genuinely bought it, right? I was like, I feel bad for Ollie. It's not even a, a Arrow show, but I feel bad about this. But um, this is also him having been Green Arrow, what, four to six seasons now? Yeah. It was a chunk of time where he went from first season to now I'm utterly comfortable in the role to I think I'm getting a little bored. Right. I, I think we're in late I'm comfortable in the role right now. I don't think he's quite to I'm bored yet. Because I agree, later Arrow, he's kind of checked out. Um, but he yeah. has a support at that point. He has a strong supporting cast to kind of carry the show for him, so it's not a big deal. Um, but on the other side, this is also peak. If you've not been following Arrow, does it make sense? Because Sarah's reaction makes no sense if you've not been following Arrow. It's the why does she suddenly care? Uh, and the answer is she doesn't suddenly care. She's had several seasons to care, but we just haven't watched those if you're not watching Arrow. 
And so we're starting to see the problems with some of this uh, because the emotional resonance, it, it, it's, um, it reminded me strongly of the uh, Book of Boba Fett problem where key parts of the Mandalorian happen in a completely different show. Uh, this is a similar version of that. Um, Sari has some good stuff here. Don't get me wrong. Um, it, it, it moves the needle on her character a bit, but the context is completely missing if you've not been watching your own. Agreed. It goes back to the problem that you were discussing earlier this episode, how it requires knowledge of everything that's gone on before to fully understand it. Mm -hmm. And which our format is now breaking that. And it is interesting to see, but also have that past knowledge and wonder how, if anyone else decides they randomly want to watch this off as a one-off, how that'll work with them. Right. Right. And again, the show is better when it starts to abandon that, that strong connection to mythology. And again, one place where this episode really sings is when Rory decides he wants to be the warlord of the, of 2046. And not only is that just the best logical outgrowth of this, right? Of course you want to stay and be in charge of things because this is everything you want. But also the relationship between Snart and Rory goes up a notch and it's not the obvious answer. Because the obvious answer would have been they both would be behind us and the rest of the team has to convince them to leave. No, Snart's like, no, we need to go. And his he never gives the arguments that makes him tip over into hero. It's always, this is too easy. We need to work to get to it. We have other things we could do. You know, this isn't like you. I thought you were better than this. They're all strong villain motivations, but we as the audience are starting to see that that's not what Snart's thinking. Snart's like, buddy, you're going to get murdered here. I need to get you out of this. And we see that in the acting. We see that in the face acting. We see that in the body language, but it's never in the dialogue. And it's mm -hmm. like, why is Captain Cold the subtle, interesting, dramatic character in this show? <laughs> Part of me wonders is not putting aside like how great those two are together, but maybe they were trying to make the people without flashy powers more interesting so people would engage with them because then you can like when firestorm powers up ooh look shiny right or when ray shrinks ooh look small you get those kind of things compared to these people look he punched somebody right so you need something else to engage viewers with which right. in the long run is a better character arc to have because people remember that more than uh, i absorbed a nuclear bomb this episode right right or um Jax is in love with Kendra, and so uh, Ray is just friends, but then suddenly realizes maybe he's in love with Kendra now, too. That damn plot line. But, you know, hey, Hawkman's dead at least, so I guess there's that. Oh. And uh, again, like, uh, uh, just kind of wrap this up on the Kendra plot line. Like, on the one hand, I was like, Hawkman's dead. He's on the picture tonight. Now you don't have to worry about this anymore. That's actually a pretty strong direction. But then her excuse for turning people down is like, I'm still getting over my life mate being murdered, even though I was explicitly saying I didn't want that to be the thing. And it's just like, <sighs> and she's in a coma. And then she's put in a coma this episode. I like some of the aspects later, though, in the show, how when they realize that they're a bunch of adults. And yes. they can just have consensual relations if they want to have consensual relations without needing to bog it down with like, we're, we're going out, we're doing this. 
it's not just like, hey, we're hot people. Let's do a thing. Oh, right. look, our thing became a, a thing thing. Right. And that happens in later seasons. And that's nice compared to forced love triangle drama. Yes. And again, it's interesting. I'm actually glad we looked at this in conjunction with Black Lightning because Black Lightning was very much not a CW show. Um, I mean, it's on CW, but they broke the formula and they tried new things. And then it slowly eased into fitting with the rest of the shows, but it did it in its own pace and its own time. Uh, and I think it's a stronger direction. This is a show that started off being very explicitly CW formula, had to break its formula immediately because of how the show was put together, but they keep trying to jam it in. It keeps not working. And finally, someone's like, you know what? This is the spinoff of a spinoff. So whatever, you guys do whatever you want to. And they do. Um, so we're seeing where this is kind of the point in the episode where I think CW's realized that maybe it needs to try new things because it, the formula is not working. It's continuing to not work, but we're seeing the, the, the vestiges of the, those kind of frustrating storylines, because again, no one remembers the Jax Ray Kendra triangle at this stage. They remember because when they're much more later when they're actually interesting characters, um, no one remembers Sarah Lance being angsty about her friend Oliver being potentially dead, but not really, but also kind of dead. Everyone remembers Snart trying to tell his friend, buddy, you can't be the warlord of crime. You need to come <laughs> back with me. <laughs> but that, that, that fur cloak, though, kudos oh, to that. It was so good. I'm going to get so one good. of those just for like around the house. I'm the warlord of this office. Raw. <laughs> um, the other thing that I, I can't skip over, but I want to mention is again, um, the TARDIS, I'm sorry, Wave Rider randomly malfunctions and gets stuck in a, a, a timeline and they have to fix it before they get out is just straight up fucking Doctor Who. <laughs> but that is also a good way to reinforce that Rip, while essential to the show, is irrelevant. Yes. Because, oh, ship's broken. I got to stay to fix the ship. Oh, you need something? I've done this. I got to go back to fix the ship. Constantly like doing that. So it gives you that point of reference and knowledge while removing that character most of the time. Or the players really screwed up. I don't want that to go on and throughout my entire campaign. Look, Rip fixed it. Hey, Stein, he called your your past self and said, go to that thing. And you went to that thing and you're still married. Look at that. Right, right. Um, that said, speaking of the Wave Rider, two things kind of come out of this, which I like. One is um, I've always really loved the Wave Rider set um, because it's... 50% kind of generic sci-fi spaceship and 50% weird Victorian office. And it, it, it sells Time Traveler in a very visual way that I really, really love. Like the fact that Rip's office looks like it's an actual like sailing ship office. Mm -hmm. um, and again, with the, the long cloak and the, the laser revolver, it's like Rip's a weird amalgamation of anachronisms. And I think that's, that's ultimately good. Um, it sells time travel in a very visual way that that uh, other shows sometimes struggle with. Not Doctor Who, but like other shows sometimes struggle with. Um, and so like, it looks like a sailing ship on some levels. And I think that that's, that's, that's a really cool touch. Uh, but the other, because spending a lot of time on the Wave Runner set, is uh, they have rapidly given Jax more to do. And he needs it. I mean, yes, the mm -hmm. supplies are, but see, he's actually a good engineer. And the... Um, Jack's 
Stein relationship is now better because it's the Stein is a theoretical scientist and Jax is the practical engineer. That's a, a much better relationship. They should have started with that. Yes. Um, it sucks that we took six episodes to get there, but going forward, their relationship's a lot more equal, and that's a much better way for them to be. So it, it, you're starting to see the shows quickly making changes. Like, like little things like Ray Palmer was kind of positioned to be, he's a technical genius, but you're right. He actually works better where he's kind of second best to everyone. He's not the best engineer because now Jack says he's not the best scientist because Stein is. He's not the best knowledge person because Rip is. And and Ray kind of just embraced the role that he's pretty good at lots of stuff. And he starts to move into almost a comic relief role and the, and the heart of the team yep. in a really interesting way that I would not have expected from a billionaire. Which is one of the reasons I enjoy that character, but I'm also frustrated by it to some extent. But I would have loved to have seen Brandon Roth given a good script to be Superman instead yeah. of the one that he got. And I think yeah. that that would have been an amazing run of Superman because he has some of the look of Superman, but he also has that sort of boyish charm and heart that you want Superman to have. But that's for a future Superman cast that we're not doing right now. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. It, 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 it's it's like when they first brought him on, I was like, it was it, it felt like stunt casting. It's like you know, much like we talked about the Arrow, let's bring all the cameos for, for the or sorry, the Flash, all cameos for Flash in, and it's like, let's bring Brandon Roth in because he played Superman. Let's put him on another DC show. Um, but it's such a different character, and you're right. It shows that this guy character has a lot of range and a lot of heart. Um, when Kendra turns him down. The writing is kind of stock dialogue, but the way he plays it is absolutely correct. It's the, you know, I'm a little hurt, but I care about you as a friend, and I want you to be happy, so I, I'm, I'm glad that we can have this conversation so we can move on. And the way he plays it, I genuinely believe that, and it, and, the, and those lines are kind of, it could have been filmed in a lot of different ways. He put the right spin on it, um, and I started to go, okay. I actually am really behind Ray Palmer here because Ray just wants to do the right thing. You know, mm -hmm. he just wants to, to be a good guy and having a solid, I just want to be a good guy character on this cast, the, the boy scout, if you will. Um, I didn't expect it to be the Adam, uh, but then it gives more range to characters like Sarah and other characters. People are starting to fall into team roles at this point and you start to see what those team roles are. Um, and you're seeing that each character is more than their obvious take that you could have taken from them. Uh, but it also shows that this cast is just too big because they, they literally sideline one character and they had to kill off another character. We're only in episode six. And before we forget, as we, we have, I don't think we've touched a lot on this episode in particular other than some of the casting and how they've interacted with plot points. But Star City will always have a green arrow was a nice yes. reinforcement of that. And you have Connor picking up his own bow, not Oliver's bow that looked like a, a boy scout bow that I shot when I was in boy scouts that they gave him. Oh question God. That. Yeah. But he was so incredibly proficient at becoming green arrow that he ran off the legends when they first showed up. Like that was a yeah. nice touch of yeah. seeing that. So you get a full encapsulation of his character in under a minute. So then when they bring him back up and he gets kidnapped, you can see what really happened and how powerful the villains are. Right. 
Um, and, and, you know, little things, but like, uh, if you listen to my speechless run, it was nice that they actually used the name Connor Hawk because that was actually the person who took over from Ollie in the comics. Like, yeah, little touches when, when the, when the, the writers are clearly caring about that kind of stuff. And it's like, that's the fun superhero stuff. Um, and you're right. I mean, he, he's a genuinely cool, good green arrow. Um, I, I would have watched probably a few episodes of Connor. I wish Connor Hawk had become a legend. You know, that, that could have been a fun thing to bring him onto the ship. Uh, so I mean, it's it's a good use of what was obviously okay. Let's quickly readjust the Arrow Cave set. Um, let's have most of the action take place in the Wave Rider, and everything else is going to be shot on one street in in probably a Canadian city. Uh, so I mean, it was clear this was a a, a expense saving episode, but like you're saying, like the Weirdly, time travel shows. Time travel shows are the most expensive shows usually, and so they're usually the most interesting when they find creative ways to deal with a lack of budget. It's one of the reasons why I think I love classic Doctor Who is because they find interesting ways to thread that needle. Um, uh, and sometimes I think Doctor Doctor Who gets too indulgent when it has too much money. Um, <laughs> but this is the okay. Now we have effectively three sets. Let's do an entire episode on three sets, and what can we do with that? And they did some really fun stuff with it. So I guess my last comment is, it would have only been more Doctor Who if they'd all gone down to the quarry and they shot the entire show there. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, yes, um, but they did, they did manage to get enough of the, we're going to shoot this outdoor scene, even though it kind of looks like it was shot in an indoor set. <laughs> At least they had that vibe going. Because I'm pretty sure that street was inside inside a studio. Uh, but anyway. Um, so yeah, so this is kind of a weird one to, to, to recap. This, this is kind of a weird one to cover because it's it's not like any of the comic books. It's kind of a... Although the, each of the characters are relatively comics accurate, they're not in this configuration. And as you point out, they become less comic connected as the show goes on. Um, each season, more or less, it's a, it's a different show. Uh, Rip Hunter himself is gone after a few seasons. Um, but there's also just a lot of fun here. And once you find, once the show realizes it's actually fun and not a pretty serious drama, um, the show, in my opinion, gets better. And, uh, so it, it, it's an interesting challenge because it, for the season also, it's so connected. If you, if I pulled in later episodes, we'd be getting into deeper into the plot and even more into the larger continuity. It'd be harder to follow. They become very serialized more or less after this point. Um, but this is certainly a, a turning point towards a show that just charted his own identity, frankly. Agreed. So with that, that is uh, Legend of Tomorrow. Um, what are we going to talk about next week? Are we out of the Arrowverse yet? Do we still have more to go? We are firmly entrenched in the Arrowverse with a million more miles to go because they keep <laughs> making shows and we will keep talking about them. But next week, we go to, we've all been waiting for it for a long time. We all know that Green Arrow was, in fact, Batman. So we're going to go for Batwoman instead of Batman. And we're going to go season one, episode one, pilot. Season one, episode eight, a mad tea party. And season one, episode 20, oh, mouse. Um, if you haven't seen Batwoman, you can check it out. I will go ahead and say now the first season of Batwoman is very different than the second season of Batwoman. Yeah. Spoiler. 
and and also uh, we're gonna have some fun talks about uh, the lead of Batwoman. Uh, so that's gonna be an interesting conversation. Yeah. Uh, but if people want to talk to you about Batwoman or Legends of Tomorrow or how amazing uh, Captain Cold is, where do they find you online? Uh, right now, I can be found on Mastodon, Dice Camp at DHS. I'm still on Twitter, although I'm less frequent there at Darker underscore Hugh or on my website. Or I almost forgot to mention the Discord because it's so quiet these days. I'm getting a little lonely in there, folks. Yes, if you want to come talk to us, please come to Discord because otherwise Chris and I will just talk to each other and that's all it's good discord's gonna be uh but um otherwise um you can find me at pugsteady.com you can also find me at pugsteady on twitter or mastodon uh and if you like this kind of conversation you want to hear even more about it you can uh, pledge to dark hue patreon where we're doing bonus episodes over there uh so if you want to hear us talk about doctor who or even some movies um Go check that out and, and give Chris some of your hard-earned cash. So with that, uh, next we'll talk about the other Batman show. It's not a Batman show, Batwoman. Peace out.